Welcome, Goat Gabbers, to another exciting episode of Goat Gab. We are so glad that you're joining us again. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Laura Warren-Hughes. And I'm the other co-host, Cameron Chidlowski. And today, we probably have one of the most uh, interesting electric guests. Laura, do you want to tell the people who our Nigerian dwarf breeder guest is today? Yes, I do. I'm so excited to um, introduce a co-director, um, somebody that I consider a friend, and just an amazing all-around person, Ellen Dorsey. So Ellen um, comes to us from Oklahoma. So Ellen, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for your kind words. Y'all are nice. <laughs> we Ellen, try. You, yeah. <laughs> Ellen, do you want to start out by uh, telling the listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got started in goats, and how you settled on Nigerian dwarfs as a breed? Okay, sure. Um, as a lot of people know, I started 22 years ago, um, so I've had them a very, very long time. Uh, I, of course, have spent some time in the trenches as the president of the American Nigerian Dwarf Dairy Association. Um, I did that for a few years, and then I backed off, and then they begged me to come back in, you know, and help pick them back up, which I, you know, that's what I've spent the last couple of years doing, and I'm quite honored to be able to fulfill that position. Um, gosh. Okay. So many, many, many years ago, we were driving down the highway and I saw these absolutely darling little black and white goats playing on a teeter totter or some such thing out, you know, right on, on the side of the highway. And I thought they were the cutest little things on the planet. And of course, at that time, I didn't know there was such a thing as a Nigerian dwarf, um, but I was informed that those were pygmy goats. So I got to looking around and I found me a few and just kind of started playing with them and cut my teeth on those little guys. And I met a very dear friend. She's still a very dear friend today. And in fact, she comes in and we disbud and tattoo together. And her name is Hulene Dunn. And she's from this area, of course. Um, and she asked me one day if I'd be interested in adding some Nigerian dwarves to my herd. And I thought, what, what is that? So she took me to introduce me to them. And I thought, well, those are kind of cute. So, you know, I got those and, and, uh, and just kind of learning how to take care of goats. I mean, they were, I have to say they were the perfect little herd for a person to learn how to take care of goats because the first two years are hell, just so you know. And anyway, I kind of, we picked up a couple more here and there and someone invited us to go to a show in Springfield. And back in those days, of course, we were not ADGA. And so they would have the AGS show one night and then the next, you know, the following couple of days was all, you know, ADGA shows. So we went in for that AGS show. And I proudly brought my does and we stood dead last <laughs> and it was horrible and eye opening and educational. And I went, hmm, I don't have anything like what these people have. So I went home and I started doing some research and I found more. Um, in those days, you could not just buy one goat. It was impossible in Nigerians. You just, you couldn't, you couldn't buy one good goat. If you wanted something, you bought somebody's herd. And so I started feeling very much like a used goat dealer because I would buy, <laughs> I would buy these herds 
keep the one that I was actually after or two and then sell everything else. And I mean, I sold a lot of goats and I and it took me a long time to gather this little group. In the meantime, I got rid of all the pygmy goats and, you know, because I started messing around with these registered animals and, you know, kind of going to a show here and there. And then I I mean, all of a sudden I had an AGS Reserve National Champion Junior Doe um, that I bred no less. And then I had some NDGA national champions, and it just kind of blossomed from there. Um, in 2003, well, before that, I purchased a few animals from Keith Harrell at Promised Land, and they were so far superior to just about anything that I had before that. And so... <clears throat> I just, I was very, very attracted to that herd, and I brought those in, of course, and and then in 2003, he asked me if I wanted to buy his herd, and I was what? Oh, <laughs> you know, <wow>. for real? <laughs> and I did. I bought his herd, all but seven animals. He kept seven animals, and I brought everything else here. Um, and of course, that was another used goat dealer situation. Um, I kept the ones I wanted and sold everything that I couldn't use. And um, and then, of course, he he went on to do other, th you know, his other things with these goats did, you know, different, you know, whatever, a whole different program than what I was following here. Um, and, you know, it it it, it was gosh, how do you say this in a nice way? Two thirds of that herd was CAE positive. So I learned a lot about CAE at that time. <laughs> and I can tell you everything in the world you'd ever want to know about it. Um, it took me a few years to clean it up. Uh, thankfully, all those goats were kept separate from everything I had. And so between culling and yes, a lot of that meant putting things down, um, catching you know, the clean kids and uh, learning how to pasteurize, learning how to heat treat colostrum, learning how to pull blood, yada, yada, yada. I learned everything you could possibly know about PCR testing and, and the different types of AG or um, uh, CAE testing on the market at that time. It, it was, it was a nightmare, um, but we got through it and we have had a 100% clean herd for the last, 15 years and you know and we did it with countertop pasteurizers so I can tell you right now that can be done too um but it was it was a heck of a learning experience um and if nowadays my entire herd traces back to five Nigerian dwarf does and two Nigerian dwarf bucks and so you know when I say I was a used goat dealer I'm in it <laughs> <laughs> That really is an amazing story. Wow. I mean, in, in so much, you know, I, I'm, I'm picturing this. Talk about learning from the school of hard knocks. Yes. Yes. Doing it from the seat of your pants. That's, that's exactly <laughs> how you do it. Um, it, it was, it was kind of a nightmare, I have to admit. Um, but we did it. And that's what, you know, that's what I can say now. We did it. We managed. 
And of course, as everybody knows, I bottle raise everything and there's a reason for that, you know, and, and uh, part of it was because we had to clean up a mess. And the other part was I didn't like the moms um, of damn raised kids. They, gosh, I can't even tell you how many times I'd see a mean mom pick up a kid and throw it against the barn or slam them into the ground with their heads, you know, and things like that. And, and I hate that. Um, and so we would find ourselves putting these mean moms <laughs> with their kids into separate pens. And pretty soon I had Dill's a little pen farm instead of a goat farm because I had pens everywhere trying to keep them separate. And that's a managerial nightmare. Um, and so one day we said, OK, that's it. No more. We're not doing that anymore. And and we pulled all the pens down and everybody went on a bottle schedule. And here we are today. We haven't had a damn raised kid. And I couldn't even tell you when. And just for perspective, for our listeners who maybe don't know you or haven't haven't had a chance to look at your amazing website. Tell us how many kids that is kind of typically. Typically now. Um, well, for the past few years. Um, I've been freshening a lot of does because I, I run a dairy here. Um, it's a, a small dairy, but that's what I do. And so I think last year I put 147 kids on the ground, something like that. Um, it, it's always been pretty typical of me to put in, you know, around 130 to 150 kids on the ground this year I won't put on you know not even because I think I'm only freshening around 30 Nigerian does this year um and then of course I raise alpines and toggenbergs too but they don't have the litters that Nigerians have so that's not nearly as bad of a nightmare as the Nigerians are litters for sure absolutely <laughs> as we as we delve into this year let's let's take a step back let's 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 reflect and look what's happening on our farms. Laura, you were around this week. What happened this week on your farm? Well, I was glad to be home, um, even though, you know, when, um, as I said last week, when I got home from uh, Florida, it was warmer in Missouri than it was in Florida. But I think that I must be the magnet for the ice cold weather because it has just been bitter cold again this week. However, we didn't get the snowmageddon that they thought that we were, even though schools shut down and, and uh, businesses closed. I think we only got about two inches of snow here, so it wasn't too bad. Just, just cold. But um, I got to have a fun trip up to Hamby's Dairy Supply in Maysville, Missouri, and uh, picked up some new lines for my milking machine and uh, some new inflations and um, had a nice little chat with them. That's kind of, it's always fun to go get things in person, you know, cause uh, you can take a look at things. And one of the things that they showed me up there, which I know is not new because I know a lot of our listeners probably use these, but I'd only heard about the top flow Z um, inflations, you know, that, that, yes. For the goats. And so I had him show me what it was and he showed me a Nigerian size one and he showed me the standard size one and um, talked about why they're really cool. And of course, you know, it's like going to a car lot. You see it and you think, oh, I can picture this in my barn. And wow, a 25% increase in milk production and, and all these things. And then I saw the price tag and I'm like, yeah. Uh, I think I'm doing fine. Thanks. 
So uh, I'm sure that we'll get some feedback from our listeners. Ellen or Cameron, have you guys ever had any experience with them? No. No, but they're very big in the Nigerian dwarf world. They're, uh, but those people have money. So <laughs> now I don't have money, but Nigerian people have money, as we all know, but not this one. <laughs> well, they're cool. I mean, they're really neat. And I, I told him with a nice smile on my face, well, you know what? If I hit the lottery, I'll probably be back here. But I don't have $800 to change. Oh, no. Milking <laughs> no. So. No. What I've heard, too, is they have to be perfectly level for them to work properly. And all I can think of is if you could see me in my barn, nothing is level in my barn <laughs> ever. So, yeah, that probably wouldn't work well at my in, in my setup. Yeah. Cameron, have you used them? No, no, I have not used them. This is the first I had heard about them, actually. <laughs> have to look them up. They're they're pretty unique, and it's a pretty neat idea behind it. And um, he said that that advantages are um, a lower somatic cell count and lower incidence of mastitis. And um, in in cases, he didn't say how often, but a 25% increase in milk production. So he said that, that he's had goat dairies who will buy a few to try out. And then the next year come back and switch all of their goats to it because they really liked them. So I just, again, that's just a little bit pricey for my um, checkbook. So it'll be a, uh, something that I tell my husband, I'd really like for Christmas some year and probably never get it, but yeah. I'd, I'd have to see the data on that 25% increase. You know, I've milked a lot of goats and I've milked them for a lot of years. So that's one I, I'd need to see the data, some kind of scientific proof on that one. Um, yeah, yeah that, that sounds a little excessive. I'll tell you what, though, I did um, do an experiment on my own herd this year and, and, we didn't have, and you know, we've had mastitis a few times, you know, usually you get one or two cases a year, you know, that's pretty common in a dairy situation. And this past year and a half, I haven't had one single solitary case of mastitis. And it's because I quit using all those chemical washes. Oh, I really use? did. I really did. I quit using all that and I make sure those does are dry, dry, dry before an inflation ever touches them. And we haven't had a single case of mastitis since I did that, since I switched. Interesting. Yeah, I thought it was too. Yeah. So that's, that's really it. Um, just went through all my, you know, drugs and needles and supplies and everything um, this weekend to make sure that we're ready. So um, I'm thinking by the time we record our next podcast, I'll have babies on the ground. Yay. So, so I'm ready. So that's, that's it here. Cameron, what about you? Um, I was on the road a lot this week, but um, by the time this podcast drops, I'll have done some other things as well. Uh, I'm going to fire up my milk machine and test that. I'm going to fire up the backup milk machine because the other milk <laughs> machines still at Capri and Supply um, <laughs> from when it was getting uh, – used well and now it's getting repaired so we got to go back and pick that up at some point i'll make we'll make a run over there at some point there um as we continue to kid by the time we have our next group of kids it'll be time to bust out the milk machine so we better check it over and make sure it's running there on that um i milked seven no five six six if you count the one dough yeah six 
today by hand, and I'm kind of sick of it already. <laughs> but yeah, but you're milking standards. That makes a that, difference. That's very true. I've milked my Jiren by hand before, and it's not fun. You know who oh, you are. Oh, no, that's not – no, we we breed for teat size, so my Nigerians are a lot easier to milk than my Alpines and Toggenberg. Uh, way easier oh. to me. Um, but they have really nice orifices. and But, uh, you know, I've been working on these guys for a long, long time, and that's one of those things that I really have focused on because I do do a lot of hand milking. Um, speaking of milk machines, have either of you guys seen that heavy-duty machine that Caprine Supply has? Um, I saw it. Yes, I have seen it. It's yeah. not the system one. It's the like. It's a big one. Yes, yeah. it's a big one. It's like mine is one and a half horse. I did those little, the portable ones for gosh, 15 years. And, uh, and I ran the wheels off two of them. And um, I got one of those big ones, a couple uh 2020, actually just before the, or right as the pandemic was starting and I got mine in and I'll tell you, you turn that on and the whole barn levitates. It's awesome. <laughs> it has power. It'll suck those girls dry. Let me tell you. It's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, it is. It's awesome. Very yeah. good. Very cool. Other than that, not a lot going on here. We'll be gearing up for our first February kids here next week. So uh, not a lot. Ellen, what's happening in your place? Snow. <laughs> Snow. We hate it. We hate it. Yeah, everybody see me whining on Facebook. I have been. I admit it. I hate snow. <laughs> I hate ice. I hate weather. And yeah, so we've been slogging through snow. And of course, all my northern friends are going, oh, that's nothing. Yeah, well, for here, it's something. And, you know, the drifts are high and you walk through and you can't get your legs out. And and I'm not tall. And <laughs> so <laughs> so it's been a chore. Um, coming in and throwing all the coveralls in the dryer every time you walk in the house. So you have dry coveralls to wear back outside and then the coveralls, well, on me, they're, they're too big. So the crotch hangs down halfway to my knees. And so that makes walking even more fun. And <laughs> I'm already short. Now my stride gets cut in half. And <laughs> so yes, I whine when the weather comes in. I hate it. Well, that's why you live in Oklahoma instead of Minnesota, right? Right? Yeah. Right? That's what I tell them all the time, but they don't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cameron, we have something exciting to introduce with this episode. So I'm going to let you do that since this is kind of your brainstorm. So Yeah, yeah. So we're introducing it. Last week, we introduced our first sponsorship idea. We had a lot of people actually reach out to us. And um, again, if you are interested in sponsorship, fill out that form on our Facebook page. Contact myself. Um, uh, and we'll, we'll get something figured out there, but please, if you're interested, please fill out that form there. Uh, we do have a sponsor for this week as though. So this is exciting here. This week's sponsor is Nancy Bowling and family of the Springwater dairy goats herd in the state of Idaho. So I can imagine she's probably dealing with more snow than Ellen is right now. Probably. <laughs> uh, Nancy has raised Nigerian dwarfs since 2019 with her family, and they've had a lot of success, actually, not just on a regional level, but on a national level as well, including multiple national show class winners uh, in both juniors and seniors and a national show class winner, actually, at last year's national show. 
They've also had a lot of success in the milk parlor as well, including some top 10 breed leaders uh, on that list, as well as some high 305 lactation awards at national shows as well there. If you're interested in looking at the Springwater Dairy Goats and their herd in Nigerians, feel free to reach out to Nancy on Facebook. She's probably one of our um, most commented guests uh, on our Facebook post as well there. But if you're interested in learning about her herd at Springwater Dairy Goats, you can go to their website at swfarm.net or on her Facebook page, Springwater Farm. Nancy and family, thank you so much for being our first sponsor, and we do appreciate you being part of our Goat Gab community. Um, moving on, we don't have a lot of Adga news, but one thing that I think all three of us talked about a little bit before we uh, started recording our episode, um, we want to join with a big shout-out to Jake at the Adga office. So um, there's been lots of love shown to Jake on Facebook and social media for the help that he's giving. And, and um, I think it's really exciting seeing this new uh, service model that's going into place. And, and um, you know, you never know what's going on until you walk a mile in somebody's shoes. And, and I don't know how many people might've realized that the Adga office was working with, a very reduced crew due to this lovely COVID virus that's going through. So, um, you know, there's, they're still trying to still trying to keep the phones r- running and so forth. But I think Jake from state farm, as he's lovingly called. <laughs> yes. And didn't Lance tell us Laura that they're, they're getting at least 90 calls resolved per day. And with our new customer service, isn't that what, did you read the same thing that I did? Yes. I saw 90 calls and I'm sitting there thinking, that's a lot, that, that's a lot to handle in a day. Yes, ma'am. And there, there, I mean, there's still some that aren't getting through. um, And I wish they were, but I mean, 90 calls, 90 calls through the day, through the, the phone hours, that is absolutely tremendous. So I, they really, Jake and his team really need a, a big hand uh, from us because that's, that's a big deal. Yes, absolutely. It's like eating an elephant, as I said before. We're going to get this fixed. It's going to be a bite at a time. Sometimes we yep. wish that it moved a little faster, but, you know, we are seeing progress made and, and you know, we're, we're going to get there. It's going to happen. Not as fast as everybody wants it to be done, but uh, we've got a lot of really good people a lot of good people who are putting a lot of time and blood, sweat and tears into answering questions and trying to help people. So, you know, just, just let's keep working on this together and we'll get there. Yeah. And because of the short staff, um, Lance told us that we had a couple of our employees that are staying after and working to get uh, paperwork done after hours. So that's happening too. I mean, they really are putting forth every effort they possibly can to get our office lined out and make sure people are getting their registration papers and getting questions answered and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're doing their best, and and I see that, and I know Ellen and Laura see that. So we hope our listeners see that as well, and continue to realize that this is just one really big elephant. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, so well, moving to something a little bit smaller than an elephant, the Nigerian dwarfs here, Ellen. I like to consider you one of the like the OGs, as the kids call it, of the Nigerian dwarf breeder. You're very active in the association there, 
And you've been a, and you've been one of the few um, ag directors who are Nigerian dwarf breeder, correct? Yes, yes, that's so, true. We do have three Nigerian dwarf breeders on the board this now, um, and I think we've got a couple other of the directors that have some. But when you think of as someone that that's where their focus is, we do have three on the board now, and I think that's cool. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. I think it's Especially- cool too. It's neat. It's neat to see that breed represented. Yes, so. it's about time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's going to get going there. I think it's it's really important there. Let's talk about the history of the Nigerian dwarf breed because this is something that okay. I feel like they just kind of popped up. Like, to be honest with you, they just all of a sudden I blinked and there was a hundred Nigerian dwarfs at a goat show. Um, right? So- well, you know, we tr- <laughs> we really though we've been around since the 80s okay. um that you, yes yes we have we've been around since the 80s um that's you know we were a, a much smaller much younger breed much different breed at that point um and it took quite a bit of time of course for breeders to to get started and i do i um during my first um term as president of the American Nigerian Dwarf Dairy Association there's a shameless plug um we we had a letter that released the Nigerian as an endangered species at that point and so that was really cool to have happen uh during my presidency the and then of course the breed has just grown exponentially since we were accepted to ADGA in 2005 um, and, uh, you know, I mean, just like you say, you feel like you blinked be and what's really funny is the first couple of years we were on display status at the national show, it was really hard to get enough Nigerians in there. And then the first couple of years I can remember, um, getting online and going, okay, the national show is way too far for me. The first one I went to was in 2010. And a couple of years later, they were having a hard time getting the entries. And I'm going, come on, everybody, get in there and get your entries in because we don't want to lose our position. We want to stay. We want to, you know, keep exhibiting. And now, now <laughs> they've exploded. And I mean, you know, they just about need one day just for Nigerians without any other breeds because it's gotten to be so big. Uh, And that I think that's just cool. Has that been discussed just as a little side tangent here? Because I can totally see that. I mean, you guys have shown I don't remember which national show it was. Was it maybe up in Madison? It was like two thirty in the morning, and you're still yes. showing Nigerians. I yes, yes, I was there. That was a that was something. <laughs> we were exhausted. It was awful. Um, but yeah, that we. I don't know that it really has been discussed in the national show committee because uh, it's been a while since I've been on that committee. I I never uh, request it if I'm not if I don't feel if I'm not going to be at the national show. There's no reason for me to request it. And, uh, and so now I, j- at this point I've stopped requesting it and I just volunteer anyway, you know, I do whatever I can when I am at a national show, um, do what I can to help out. Um, but as far as I know, that hasn't been discussed, but it, it's certainly something that maybe should be. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Well, nobody no wants one. to show goats at two thirty in the morning. I mean, no, I love showing goats, but that's wow. No, wow. no, no, thank you. Well, I've <laughs> done that sure. before. 
I've done that before. It's not yeah. fun. I want to go back to the 1980s here. What did that Nigerian okay. dwarf goat look like? A pygmy. A black okay. pygmy goat. That One of the very first Nigerian dwarves um, that... Uh, and I have photographs. And that's that's one uh, part where you know being audio only is is rough. But I have photographs of some of the first Nigerians. You know, because everybody that raises Nigerians is interested in the history. If if they're not, you know, I would be surprised. But we're all interested in history. We're all interested in pedigree, and we can all trace our animals back to the foundation stock. I mean, that's just the way it is. We all can do it, and. Um, that, but those very first ones, they came in of just a couple of colors, you know, and, and, uh, but then of course, now you have to remember, we were committee registering a lot of, a lot of animals, um, back in those days. And so different, you know, the different color expressions and patterns and things were being introduced back then because really all they had to do was look like a little dairy animal. They had to have particular features and uh, and they had to meet size requirements. And if they met the size requirements, the committee let them in. Now, I did hear um, Tom Rucker, in fact, he had a doe that was Coo Claire back in the day, and they actually rejected that one <laughs> um, because it had it was alpine colored. But as we know, that color came in later on anyway. Um, but it was rejected the first time it hit committee. So, just for our listeners that aren't familiar with the term of committee registered, can you mm-hmm. explain that a little bit? Like, who who got to do that? What who was the committee? Well, I can't remember all the names. Shala Parker was one. Um, I think, oh gosh, I Terry Florence was one. Um, I can't remember all the committee members' names, you know, without having the documents in front of me. But it, for American Goat Society, they, the okay, the very first registry that recognized Nigerian dwarves as a separate breed from the pygmy goat was IDGR, which is um, the International Dairy Goat Registry. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that. Uh-huh. Um, it's changed hands quite a few times. Um, I know the, the lady that's running it now, very, very nice lady. Um, but they are the ones that first recognized the Nigerian dwarf as its own standalone breed, separate from the pygmy goat. Um, and it was just based on appearance. They just look different. And of course, we all know that they have their roots in the West African dwarf or, or wad goats, as you know, um, as they're known as. And they early on saw that there were two different types. And so they separated them, the pygmy goat and the Nigerian dwarf. And it's and then AGS picked them up. And of course, they have their own uh, pygmy registry as well. AGS does. And um, but anyway, when AGS picked them up, the breed really, really started to grow um, and to become the dairy goat that we know today uh, with all of its you know, idiosyncrasies and, and, and whatnot, you know, um, but, but people started actually using them as dairy goats when they hit American Goat Society. And then of course they were accepted into ADGA 
and then AGA, we started registering with them in 2005, and that's really when the breed exploded. Pretty awesome. And then, and and the first time I saw Nigerians was was it 2010 at the national show, and I remember seeing them there thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is so cool!" Because this is like their first official national show that they can yes. actually compete in, and it was so heartwarming to watch the Nigerian breeders. I, there was just such joy that you could palpably, palpably feel yeah. at the ringside. That was so cool. Yes, we were thrilled. We were absolutely thrilled. I was there at that show. Um, we took a photograph. We have this historic photograph of all the breeders that were there. Um, and and it was, it was such a big deal to us uh, because we really, really wanted to to get accepted to the American Dairy Goat Association. Um, and that's what why our breed club was formed. That was our purpose, was to gain acceptance. And I would I do want to say when we wanted to be accepted to the American Dairy Goat Association, we did it because we wanted to be treated the same. We wanted to be recognized as a dairy goat, and we wanted to be treated like all the other breeds. We didn't want anything special. We weren't looking for any special considerations, no special treatment, none of that. We wanted to be treated the same, and that's I can't emphasize that enough. In today's American Dairy Goat Association, the Nigerian dwarf needs to be treated exactly the same. And our breeders really need to hear that. We want to be the same. Well, that's really interesting you bring that up. And one reason why I say that is because you guys adopted your guys' breed standard really, really quickly. I would say not maybe not breed standard, but how the animal looked to the scorecard rather quickly and faster than I've seen any breed do that before. Don't you agree, Ellen? <laughs> No, not really. But it was oh. years in the making. Um, it really was. It was years in the making. And of course, our breed standard changed twice. Um, our, our Specifically the height. It changed twice over the years when we were in AGS. And so when we petitioned for acceptance with the American Dairy Goat Association, we gave them the same breed standard that we had um, that we had developed and agreed on when we were in the American Goat Society. The only difference um, with American Goat Society, the top the top dose standard was 22.6 and Buck was 23.6. Well, Adga doesn't measure that way. It was done in inches and, you know, inch increments. And so it, we changed it to 22.5 for does and 23.5 for bucks. And that has been our breed standard for well, goodness, I think the last time it was changed was in 1997. So, I mean, you know, we've that has been our standard for a lot of years. And when we came in, that's what we petitioned for, the exact same standard that we had in, in the American Goat Society. Maybe not the breed standard, maybe more like the utilization of the scorecard. Because I remember those early days of judging, yes. and I just saw really rough rumps everywhere. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, part of that, uh, we had a particular scorecard with AGS. Um, but now, this has been during my time as a breeder because I helped with that. Uh, we brought, we took the scorecard and we mirrored 
ADGA quite a lot with the AGS scorecard. Um, I don't know that they want me to say that, but I'm going to say it because I helped develop the AGS scorecard as it's known. <laughs> and, um, um, and we mirrored Adga's scorecard a lot because we like, quite frankly, many of us liked it better. And, um, and so we then adopted that scorecard. Um, and once you have that to look at, and that's what you want your goats to mirror, you know what I mean, does that make sense? Um, I wanted, I wanted my goats to look like an Alpine, a Sonnen, an Oberhasli, a Toggenberg, only little. That was the point. And I, one of the things that we talked about at the annual meeting and convention this year, they asked me to be on that elite breeders panel, which was quite an honor um, to rep, uh, represent the Nigerian dwarf breed. And Clissy Foster was there representing Sables, of course. And one of the things that I told her was one of her does, Triumph of Hope. Everybody knows who that doe was, you know, this beautiful recorded grade doe that you know, today, if she were born, she would be considered a sable. Yes. Um, was one of the most, probably the most outstanding doe I had ever seen. And very, very early on, I looked at that goat and I went, there it is. That's what I want my does to look like. And I pinned that picture to my refrigerator. So I had to look at it every single day. And that's what I wanted my Nigerians to look like. One of the things, Ellen, that that I really admire about your herd and really about your breeding program is that I never hear you making an excuse saying, well, they're Nigerian, so they can't have or they don't have or no. you know, they're not going to have that height of rear adder or the, well, the better. <laughs> heat placement or the four outer extension or the capacity. I mean, I I never hear you using that as an excuse. No. Um, and you won't either. Yeah, I think that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just been so interesting to watch them just over, even in my short judging career, just see how they've really adopted and changed to not change, not change, but changed to really look and shape and 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 look like a dairy goat since my initial days there. So it's it's been a miraculous, and it's amazing how fast you can see the progress being made of the breed. Yes. Um, I, the very first year we registered with ADGO was in 2005 and that's the first year I had linear appraisal. Um, and I, you know, I, I can't recommend the program enough. You know, I can't sing its praises enough, uh, because I listened and, you know, when they were telling me, you know, about thurls and rumps and, um, you know, things like that and where the utter height should be and, and teat placement and, you know, on and on and on. I listened. And then when I had the privilege of having John White and Eric Germain come to my property, I listened even harder. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, and they like my goats, you know, I mean, the appraisers, have always been very, very kind, very kind. I can't say enough good things about them. Um, and, and they actually, you know, appreciated my goats, which, you know, of course I appreciate that in turn, but 
when they told me there was a problem, I went, okay, now I need to figure out how I'm going to fix that problem. And so appraisal has, you know, really, really, I think if people pay attention to what their appraiser is telling them, they can't help but be a better breeder. You just, you just can't help it. You have to be. I would agree with that too. So would you say that when you think about, obviously you raise a large herd here, um, yes. So would you think about the tools that ADGA has, the appraisal program, milk test, and maybe some of the shows, have they really helped you kind of shape where you're going with your herd and that there? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, now, you know, milk test, for me, milk test is very personal. Um, I'm not I'm not going to shoot for top 10, you know, things like that. That's, that's just, that's not what I personally uh want to accomplish you know i need a doe that can milk adequate to her size and i've been on milk tests for a lot of years and so i know pretty much how much one of my does has to be able to produce um in order for that udder to be in balance with the rest of her because i breed for balance i don't you know i i don't want a water balloon following my goat around the show ring cuz i think that's ridiculous um i what i want is an udder that matches her and i'm you know and i and you know other people will disagree and that's fine you know i've been doing this for 22 years i'm not changing now and <laughs> and and I want it to match. And, you know, being on uh, DHI and stuff like that, weighing milk and, you know, knowing what that looks like and, and how much these does do and having the records of what they do, um, that that has helped a great deal for me to know what I need my does to do in, in order to have them um, carry on through show season and beyond because like a, you know, as many, many know, I run a dairy here. And so they have to, to milk and supply my customers and as well as supply my house. Um, I raise a lot of bottle calves on goat's milk. Um, I raise, of course, lots and lots of baby goats on goat's milk, and I raise human people on goat's milk. And so they really, they have to be able to produce, but I'm not looking for top 10 because I don't need the the metabolic issues that run hand in hand with a lot of that kind of thing. Um, they have to be able to be healthy. They have to be able to do it on a, oh, let's say, um, cheap feed program. How's that? I'm the queen of cheap. And they have to be able to be healthy and produce without me adding a whole bunch of junk to their feed program because I can't afford that. That's ridiculous. I call that balling on a budget. (laughs) Exactly. Absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, adding all those things in, if that's something that you want to do, more power to you, but doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose of what Nigerian dwarves were kind of bred to be, which was a compact and efficient little dairy animal? Amen. Uh, You know, I, and I have actually, I've done the math and I can raise, I can feed and raise three Nigerians Per one standard, because I do all of it, you know, and I've had standards from the beginning. I've had Alpines as long as I've had Nigerians. A lot of people know I used to raise Nubians. I raised Nubians for 13 years. 
Um, I am, of course, messing around with Toggenbergs now. I've had them, um, I think I've got maybe three kidding seasons with Toggenbergs. I think maybe four. I don't remember. They have a lot of bucks, so <laughs> it's hard to remember. And um, it, it is. It's hard to keep track when you don't have the does, you know, the ages of the does. Um, <clears throat> but I can keep three Nigerians for one standard, and those three Nigerians way out milk a standard. I think and that's fascinating. They do, and they are very, very efficient, and they're very efficient with their feed. We call them the little hoovers. Um, I do not raise them in the same pens as I do alpines or when I had Nubians, you know, because Nubians take a bite and then they, they space out, you know, they got to look around and see everything that's going on. And by the time they're done looking around, the Nigerians have eaten all the food and, <laughs> you know, so you can't have them in the same pen together, at least not on my farm. And, uh, and so I keep my Nigerians separate from the standards. Um, that way, you know, I, my Nigerians aren't getting hog fat and the, um, Alpines and Toggenbergs get to grow, you know, they get half a chance. Oh, I yeah. love that. Look yeah. around and that is so Nubian. And I loved, you know, love to our Nubian listeners and I loved my Nubians too, but that is so, oh, yeah. And, and nothing, I can see that happening. <laughs> nothing more precious than a baby Nubian. I absolutely adore baby Nubians. They're so darling. Yep. Um, yeah, but no, we had, I actually, the very best Nubian doe I ever bred um, picked up a wire and it punctured her um, stomach and that I, it just broke my heart. And then I sold them all. <laughs> just, that It just, it really did. I just sold them all. That's kind of a drastic response, but that's what I did. Well, I, yeah. I think yeah. everybody can understand that too. Well, you talked about math. And you're, I love, you're big on the math game and goats and looking, my biggest thing in life is resource allocation. And by resource, I mean, we have two of them in life and goats is a big one, money and time. So talk about your goat math. And because you take a very different approach to this as a business, rather than looking at it more as a hobby herd, like uh, Laura and myself might have. Yeah, no, we are definitely not a hobby herd. Um, I I do raise uh, or I do own a very successful business. Thank you very much. Pat myself on the back. That's cool. Um, and and a lot of that you have to watch every penny you put in. And so of course I feed my goats cattle feeds. I do not use goat feeds. If it says goat on the label, it costs three times as much. So and it's the same exact thing. I've been, you know, before uh, I was able to come back to the farm full time. Uh, okay, I'll do, I got divorced once, <laughs> you know, and I had to go and get a real job. And uh, and I did. I went to a feed store and I took every class that was offered on all the products and all the different things. And I learned a lot about uh, feed and cattle feeds and um, you know, nutrition and, and how animals grow and react to certain things. And I found over the years that dairy goats do really, really great on cattle feeds. And so that's what I use. And, 
And like I said, if it says goat on the label, because goat is a really, really popular animal right now, um, you're going to pay three times as much for the exact same feed. So I use cattle feeds and I recommend them to everybody. I now I do use a goat mineral, um, but, you know, there you know, you can't really save a lot of dollars on your mineral because you got to have one that the animal can actually utilize. And so it's very, very important to have a really good mineral. Uh, we do our own hay. So, yeah, during the summertime, we're out there bucking hay up onto a trailer and that's no fun at all. Uh, but I learned early on that if I was going to do this as a business, then we were going to have to put in the blood, sweat and the tears and a lot and, and more and more sweat <laughs> to be able to do that. I, I couldn't do it. If I had to buy hay, there's no way I couldn't make any money at all. Um, I see some of the prices that you guys pay and I go, yeah, I can't do that. And so we bale our own hay. And so fortunately for us, we, we know people and, you know, they, people need pastures cleaned up or hay meadows cleaned up and they're no longer farming, but they still have their land. And so they're very kind and, you know, we can go in and clean it up for them and bring it on home. So that's been a real um, good thing for us. But yeah, you, I, you know, if you want to make money in dairy goats, it's not just about um, pricing the kids uh, as we all know, Nigerians bring premium dollars. Just That's just the way it is. Um, but it's not just about pricing those kids and getting the maximum money for those kids. It's also looking at the resources that you have that you're putting in, and that comes in the form of feed and hay and minerals and, you know, that sort of thing. And I don't spend my money on supplements. I, I just don't. That's it's it's unnecessary. You can raise a healthy animal and one that's productive without doing that. Ellen, when you talk about making money with your business, um, talk about your milk customers. How does how does what does that look like on your farm? Okay, um, my some of my biggest customers are actually white-tailed deer farmers. Um, they come in and they buy milk and colostrum for their baby deer. And so during the summer months, I, I, I think I chase my tail a lot, <laughs> milking and milking and milking some more to supply my white-tailed deer farmers with um, nice fresh goat's milk and uh, um, colostrum. On the other end, during the winter months, uh, we buy a lot of baby calves. Um, my husband's uncle has a an enormous ranch and he has oh about 1200 mamas and of course when you have that many mamas you're going to have bum calves sometimes because you know once in a while the mom rejects a calf or you know the mom dies or you know whatever the case may be and so my husband's uncle calls me and says hey <laughs> you want this calf and I say yes and um, um and so we we spend a lot of time putting goat's milk into baby calves and raising those. And then when I get them to a particular size, I sell those. So I make money on the other end with those as well. Um, and I'm not as dependent on the human customers at that point uh, because I'm putting all the milk that I'm producing into those baby calves. <clears throat> but then I do have quite a few human customers too. And they come to your farm? And yes, they, they, bring their own, they bring their own jars. 
No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No. I do buy brand new milk jugs, and we put all of our milk into brand new milk jugs. Um, and I only sell it by the gallon. We try, we've try. we tried some of the smaller sizes, but that doesn't move as well. And it, it, you end up, you have, you have more money in your container uh, than you want to have in your container. It's a lot cheaper to put it into gallon jugs. And so that's what I do. And they come in and they have to come to the farm. That's Oklahoma law. They've got to come into the farm. I can't carry it to them because that's considered bootlegging. And nobody wants Ellen in jail for bootlegging. It would be a very bad thing. <laughs> Ellen doesn't want to be in jail either. <laughs> no, Ellen doesn't want to go to jail. Nope. So we, we aren't doing that. So they come out to my farm. And then, of course, you know, I've I've established quite a you know few relationships that way too with my milk customers i some of them i just absolutely you know enjoy tremendously and they come in and visit with me um but yeah i put milk i filter the milk directly into uh brand new milk jugs and then of course it's immediately chilled and we put out a nice fresh product very cool. So, a awesome. couple questions here. Is that first off? Okay. That's raw, is that raw or is that? Uh, yes, sir. it's raw milk. Yes, I am not licensed to sell pasteurized milk. It's raw milk. Yeah. Okay, and then commercial or uh, what type of grade are you dairy through the state of Oklahoma? I'm not. Okay, I am not a grade. No. Okay, I just and then obviously no cheese or do you do any like. No, that would that's illegal. That's actually okay. illegal for me to sell cheese. I'm allowed to sell up to 100 gallons a month. Okay. And then and that's uh, for human consumption. That's for okay. human consumption. So okay. they don't regulate what you're selling for the white-tailed deer customers? No. Or, no. Okay, it's not not for animal. Animal use is, is not under, covered under that. Um but no, I cannot sell cheese. Um that we, that's illegal. Um, it's kind of funny. We have a lot of gray areas in our, our laws. Um, if I wanted to, oh, let's say make some cheese and I do make a lot of cheese for here for our household use. If I wanted to make my famous Danishes and fill them with a cream cheese filling from cheese that I made, I could actually sell those. It's it's legal for me to sell those, but it's not legal for me to sell them the cream cheese to put in their own danishes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. The law, yeah. laws are interesting, aren't they? They are. They absolutely are. We could have a whole episode where Ellen just explains how to get around the rules. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell you how. I'm just telling you that it can be done. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna get me in trouble, Cameron. <laughs> we don't want to get her in trouble. No, no, no. No. What about? Do you do any confectionery stuff like uh, caramel? Um. Yes, actually, I'm. I'm now. I don't sell it. Um. Okay. But I actually I do make it, and I use it to make my um Christmas fudge. Um, and that's really, really tasty because it, it kind of what's interesting is that caramel sauce um, that you make from the goat's milk actually gives the fudge almost a coffee flavor. And isn't that weird? But it does. It's <laughs> it's quite clever and it's very, very good. <laughs> but Yum. now I don't eat that. As we all know, Ellen is skinny now. And so I don't eat any of it. 
Yeah, Ellen, you're kind of amazing, but I, I almost feel like we need to have an episode about that, but we're not. No, so. no, no, no. We don't want to do that. <laughs> Ellen, one thing, um, one of the reasons why I, I'm really excited to have you on, I'd like you to talk, if you would, about your management program, because okay. um, from my perspective, I feel like that the way that you raise your animals and the way you manage your animals is quite different from how many Nigerian dwarf breeders do um well i don't know about that are we talking management as in uh bottle raising and that sort of thing okay i'd like to talk about that how how do you do that because for me to start you know a a, a triplets or quads out of an alpine doe (laughs) a bottle i think would be very different from uh sex tuplets uh, yeah, now see, I we don't have sex tuplets. That's uh, you know, I would have to sue my goats for child support if they did that to me. Um, I have had, I have had, oh, three, maybe four sets of quints over the years, and of course, I always tell those does they're very, very naughty when they do that to me because we don't like that. Um, we get probably four or five sets of quads every year, maybe more. Um, We do get quads, but I am not a big litter type person. I, I try very hard not to select for such a thing. Um, I'm really, really not interested in feeding teeny weeny baby goats every two hours. That's just, you know, not in my, um, that's just not something I want to do nowadays. When I was 30, it was fine. I'm not 30 anymore and I don't want to do it anymore. Um, and, and then too, I do have a friend that very kindly takes the weenie teenies off my hands. If I feel the need to let them go someplace. (laughs) And so that's always nice. Um, but anyway, so we freshen the does. I, immediately pull kids. I don't let does lick them, nothing. They have absolutely no relationship with those babies at all. I take the babies and I put them in a playpen in the nursery. So, I, you know, my does don't even hear them crying. And the doe it then immediately goes to the milk barn. Um, sometimes she's dropped her after birth. Sometimes she hasn't. Sometimes I have to put a little, a, a, <laughs> a Walmart sack over it and tie it to her tail for a minute. So it's out of my way and I clean her all up and I milk her out. And then I take the sack back off because it's not nice to make them wander around with a Walmart sack tied to their butts. Um, and you know, I put the, uh, colostrum into heat treat and I have a, a water bath. Uh, apparatus that it has a cloth cord. So it tells you how old my device is <laughs> that I use, but it's equivalent to a chef's pot that you see on, you can buy them on Amazon. And I heat treat my colostrum in that. Um, <clears throat> and then of course we pasteurize uh, the goat's milk for all the babies. We don't sell pasteurized milk, but we pasteurized all the milk that goes into baby goats um, because we do practice very strict CAE prevention here. Um, as there gets to be a lot of babies, I bring out the buckets. The buckets are a dream. We have those little bitty valves in the bottom of the straws. You know what I'm talking about? The one-way uh, tube valves. 
Yes, the ones that you curse when you have to put them in. Yes, and then you take them out. But my gosh, they sure make it so much easier. They do. And here's a little tip for you and for our listeners. If you're trying to shove that little bitty valve into those tubes, take and, and get you a saucer of or not a saucer, a little bitty bowl of water, put it in your microwave and, and heat it to boiling. Dip the tips of those tubes into that hot, hot water for a few seconds. Pull it out and you can pop that um, one-way tube valve right down in there. Easy as pie. Best way ever to put it on there. You just um, saved me broken fingernails and a lot of yes. very bad words. You're Thank welcome. You. <laughs> You're welcome. Best trick ever. And then, of course, we also prime the tubes because Nigerian dwarf babies are little. And I do use the full-size buckets with the big gray nipples. And what we do is we prime the the tubes we pull the milk up into the tubes and i learned a really cool trick from i don't know if you guys know who she is crystal yancey um she uses a syringe and she sticks it into the hole on the nipple and then pulls back and that sucks the milk right up into that uh tube into the nipple and that's also a very very cool trick I used to always just squeeze the nipple until it pulled it up on its own. Um, but that takes a little while. You can just pop that syringe in there and pull it up. And that's very cool. And so we do that. And of course we only start with a couple of babies at a time because babies are dumb. Mm -hmm. And you know, they, since we start them on bottles, you're the refrigerator. You're the person that's supposed to be giving them milk. And so instead of staying on that bucket, they go, no, no, you feed me. And they come back to you, you know, which is uh, an exercise in frustration. And so you can't have 20 of them at a time. That's that's just a nightmare. And they knock each <laughs> and, other off. And oh, man, <laughs> it's just horrible. And so, you know, I put them on one one or two at a time and I hold their little heads there, whether they like it or not, you know, and you hold them there and they're going torture, torture. Um, and you know, there's milk in there and they finally figure it out. And, you know, and it, it usually takes three or four times of helping them on the nipple. And then after that, you just go, OK, and you put the buckets in and you open the gates and you go have at it, kids, and you run out as fast as you can and you leave. And, you know, they got to figure it out. Um, you just, you just can't stand there and help them all the time. That's silly. Um, and anyway, it's, I mean, it's how I manage them like you manage yours, Laura. <laughs> just, yeah, well, you okay. know, yeah. Well, very cool. And then how long do you leave your Nigerian babies on milk? Uh, 12 to 14 weeks. Okay. All right. Very interesting. And then after that, you go right to uh, just like grain and hay then? Well, we st we introduce them to hay and grain when they're only about five days old. And actually, um, our you know, we bale our own hay. So I don't use straw and things like that around here. We do use wood shavings, of course, um, because the like the wood shaving pellets and things like that are are very absorbent. And so we use that on the bottom layer. And then I, I put hay on top of the wood shavings for the stalls and those baby goats start eating that hay really, really quick. 
Um, but we introduce them to grain at about five days old. They don't actually eat it. They like to carry it around and poop and piddle in it and use it for <laughs> a litter box. Um, but it's there in case somebody gets smart and decides to try to chew on it. Um, and, and they pick it up fairly quickly, you know, cause they don't have a mom to teach them how to eat. So, you know, you got to put it out there and give them a chance. We don't offer water until they're usually around three or four weeks old. Um, like baby calves, sometimes they'll discover water and they'll just drink and drink and drink until they bloat. <laughs> so you, you kind of have to watch them. Um, and I want them to drink their milk. Um, and not just water. So we kind of, we wait until they're three to four weeks old before we introduce water. And not only that, I don't want them drowning in their water tanks either. So, yeah. Uh, kind of going a different direction here, uh, Ellen, uh, as you reflect back on kind of the beginning stages of the breed and seeing how far it's come, what are some of your favorite moments that you've had, Ellen? Some of my favorite, oh gosh, there've been a lot. Um, I, you know, I had some of the very first goats that were on superior genetics. Um, I've had, okay, and now I'm going to say this, and somebody else might be out there in goat world calling me a liar, but the the I had a friend recently rebuild my website, and I guess just out of curiosity, she went and started counting, and she told me that I had more superior genetics animals than anybody. And so I thought that was kind of cool. I don't know if it's still true, but that's, you know, what she told me. And so I thought that was really fun. Um, I know that I, I mean, I've had a lot of 90, 91, 92s. Um, in fact, just about every adult doe on my farm hits that 89, 90, 91 and 92 mark. I haven't bred a 93 yet, but that's one of my goals. Um, I've had two reserve national champions. Um, that's a very big deal. I haven't bred that national champion yet, but that's also one of my goals. I won't be done until I get there. Um, oh gosh, I don't know. We've had, we've had a lot of honors. Um, I've had a lot of, uh, milk awards at the national show. I've had a lot of class winners. Um, I've I've won a lot of best in show awards, which always just shocks me to the core anytime it happens. And I think I cry just about every time it does happen because, I mean, you're standing out there with these gorgeous La Manches and Nubians and Alpines and they, you know, they give that award to a Nigerian and you think, are you kidding me? <laughs> have we really come that far? And the answer is yes. Yes, I guess we have. We really have come that far. Um, and, and so that's a huge honor. Um, we have had, um, like, dam and daughter class winners at the national show we've had uh dairy herd right up toward the top we've had best three right up toward the top um and it's always it's always such a big deal especially with the breed growing as as big as it has and to still get those recognitions um it's really quite something uh, and, and like I say, I think I ball every time it happens because it's, it's, it's a big deal for me. Well, it is a big deal. I would say so for sure. 
Do you have any animals that you can think back over your herd that you'd say, this is probably my favorite doe or this oh, is gosh, a good out? Yeah. Yep. Gosh, I've had a lot of them. I've been very, very honored over the years to own some of the best Nigerians in the breed, in my opinion. Um, one of them was my, my 2013 reserve national champion. Uh, and she's appearing in a lot of pedigrees today. Her name was Dills XM Kina. Um, and uh, you know, I'm really, really proud of that doe and all of her accomplishments. Uh, my 2014 reserve national champion tranquility, uh, she also is appearing in a lot of Nigerian dwarf pedigrees nowadays. Um, and so that's uh, just a tremendous uh, honor to see those does making such an impact in other herds as, you know, because they made such a big impact here and to see them doing it elsewhere just warms my heart. Um, I had a couple of bucks that went into the Australian program. Um, and, uh, you know, people who aren't familiar with that, uh, you know, they have to pass a battery of tests um, and then, you know, they get there and, you know, they have to pass a battery of tests when they're there and they collect them. And, of course, then those animals have to be euthanized in order for their genetic material to be exported across uh, to Australia uh, but having uh, but having my genetics in Australia now, you know, that's a really big pat on the back for me, too. I, I find that very, very exciting to be establishing the breed across an ocean. That's that's really huge. That That is very huge. And I did not know that they needed to be euthanized. I'll have to look yes. into that more. That's that's yeah. quite interesting. Interesting. Yes. Yes, they do. And then today. Um, one of the very best does that I've ever put on the ground, her name is Liquor, and she's standing out here, and, and she's won a number of Best in Show awards. I'm really proud of her. I've got a lot of nice does standing out here and that I'm just tremendously proud of um, and honored that they chose me to be here. <laughs> I, I, I really, really... I'm proud of this herd and how far it's come in the years that I've been managing it. I think that's just awesome. And, uh, you know, you're right to, to have that kind of success and to be able to look out there. It, it, it just really makes your heart pretty darn full, doesn't it? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. But I'm not done yet. So don't count me out yet. <laughs> I'm still working hard at it. Will you be at nationals this year? Do what, Laura? What'd you say? Will you be at the national show this year? No, that's too far for me. <laughs> okay. It was a long trip for you. Yeah, because I usually travel by myself. I, I I had a friend that traveled with me last year, and that was nice. But I usually travel by myself, and that's just too far for me. All I mean, you know, those parking lots and stuff are, are scary at night. <laughs> and uh, And I'm pretty mean, but, you know... I I still don't want to be out there milking in the a gas station parking lot at two o'clock in the morning all by myself. Yeah. Very understandable. Well, Ellen, thank you so much for joining us this week. And You're Ellen, can, can you tell us where if I was a Nigerian dwarf enthusiast, I'll call myself an enthusiast because I have the Nigerian dwarf chair right over there that I'm looking at. Um where, yes. where could I find information on 
um, your herd, um, and maybe potentially looking to get uh, some uh, animals from you? Well, I have a very comprehensive website that I'm very, very proud of. We've been putting it together for a lot of years, and it was just rebuilt by a friend of mine. It's www.dillsalittlegoatfarm.com. Um, we also have a Facebook presence, and I do like to make noise on Facebook. And so I put a lot of my available animals on my farm page and on my website. Um, for breed history, I am going to recommend that you go to ANDDA.org for a lot of breed information um, and, you know, support your, your breed club people because I think that's a, an important thing. And if you hadn't heard, um, we got that leash law turned over for the national show. So you can use leads at the Adga National Show now. Um, yeah, we put a great deal of effort into doing that for our um, fellow breeders. And so if you're interested in the breed club, come see us at andida.org. So Cameron, let's uh, tell everybody one last time, a big thank you for our sponsor this week, Nancy Bowling and her thank spring you, water herd. Yes, we're glad glad to have you as our first sponsor and how appropriate to have her with our Nigerian Dwarf um, episode. Absolutely. As always, listeners, thank you for choosing to spend some time of your day with us three. Um, honestly, in my opinion, this was the one, this is the episode that I had the most belly laughs of. So Ellen, thank you for bringing some, some great um, humor to a, a great episode. So thank you for that. Well, thank you guys for having me. I really, really appreciate it. And hello, goat world. <laughs> if you liked us, uh, uh, let us know. Uh, also, give us some feedback. Again, we're always trying to improve. Uh, improve. You can find us on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, really much wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to, go ahead and uh, drop us a like on Facebook or give us a review in whatever platform you're uh, listening to us. Thank you all for joining us this week, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Goat Gab.